That song is singing about a, a concept that has been kind of held sacred for people who are followers of Jesus throughout the ages, this whole idea that there's, there's a three in one, that there's a, a trinity. And many theologians believe that the role of God the Father is to create. And Mike talked about what happened at the beginning of the story. It says at the beginning of the story, God formed people out of the dust and so that he breathed life into them. And maybe today you need to be reminded um, that the Father is praiseworthy because he breathes life into circumstances that seem hopeless. And the role of the Son, this Jesus who died on a cross for our forgiveness and our redemption, he's a God who speaks mercy to those of us who feel um, broken, maybe stained beyond love or restoration. And then the Spirit, the Spirit speaks power to people who feel stuck. The Spirit speaks power to people who feel like they're spinning their wheels on their journey and they can't get any traction and they can't get any breakthrough and they can't get any freedom. Just want to remind you that the, re the reason that we gather here today to sing songs that include lines that we believe are true about God is to remind us who God is. Because I don't know about you, but I, like, I get tempted to forget about 30 seconds after I get into my car every Sunday that God is a God who is speaking life to you today if you've got ears to hear it. He's speaking redemption to you today if you feel like you're beyond all hope. And he's speaking power to you today if you feel overwhelmed by the circumstances that you're in. So my, my deep hope and prayer for you is that by the end of our time together and that every time we gather, you would walk out of those doors saying, yep, my, my confidence is not in myself, it's not in my circumstances, it's not in my talent, it's not in my resources. My, my confidence, my hope, my gratitude is, is in the King of Kings because he's speaking life and he's speaking forgiveness and he's speaking power to me today. So if you're not there yet, I want to pray that over you and then we're going to continue our time together. Father God, I pray that you would speak words of life, mercy, and power to those of us who so desperately need to hear it today. God the Father, you are, create, you are creator God. You're constantly sparking new life in us and around us. God the Son, Jesus, you declare mercy over all the things that we've done and even the things that we have yet to do. And because that's true, there's, there's hope for us. God the Spirit, you, you keep breathing wisdom and power and clarity into our lives when we feel stuck. And I pray that we would have um, the ears to hear it and the hearts to receive it today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. That song said that Jesus comes to restore things that are broken, to bring light into dark places. And one of the great stories that we have to celebrate this week, some of you may not know, a team of six people from Central went down to assist flood victims in Texas this last week. And they helped tear out carpet. They helped uh, remove debris. They helped make sure that uh, people had just some basic necessities that they needed to get back on their feet. And we're so grateful of people who gave so freely of their time and their energy. And those of you who gave out of your resources to make sure that everybody who wanted to give a week's time at a moment's notice could do so at no cost to them. 
So, so thank you for contributing and investing in what happens here at Central the way that you do. And if you're somebody who'd like to be on deck for a future disaster relief team, there's going to be an information meeting uh, next week. It's going to be on the 12th. And uh, you can email missions at centralwesleyan.org for more details. Again, that meeting on the 12th is going to be happening from 9 to 1130. Uh, today is uh, kind of week five, our second to last week in our impact series. And we've been looking at a few assumptions that we are using to kind of frame reality as we charge boldly into the future that God has for us as Central here in Holland. The assumption that we're looking at today is one regarding church size. We call it the larger and smaller concept. And we believe that the church will become bigger and smaller at the same time. Churches will grow in size, not necessarily because they gather thousands together in one space, but because they gather thousands together through multiple smaller venues under shared leadership. And the passage of scripture that we've been using to kind of guide our conversation is the book of Joshua. And if you're joining us for the first time today, allow me to give you a backstory. About 3,000 years ago, the people of ancient Israel fled a life of slavery in Egypt God miraculously leads them through the wilderness and after 40 years brings them to the edge of a new land. And the good news is God keeps flinging doors open for them to inhabit that territory. The challenge is that people still need to do some work to settle into their new homeland. It would be like somebody gave you keys to a new house, but they didn't move all of your stuff for you, all right? So God gets them almost all the way there, but they're still, they have to actively participate in God's will and plan for their lives. So over the period of time, all 12 tribes get situated in each of the zones that have been designated for them to put down roots. Now consider this. The people of Israel are experiencing a massive change in their family dynamic. About 2 million of them have been wandering through the desert for an entire generation together. They don't know any other life than them traveling together as one big happy band. They have been roommates and road trip buddies for as long as they can remember. And now they're all heading into this new chapter where they're functioning as grown-up adults with their own houses and brand new subdivisions. And there's kind of this transition that they have to go through to understand their new call and their new identity. So some of you know I'm the, I am the fifth of six children in our household. And I spent all of my childhood years at the same two colonial red brick house in Western Springs, Illinois. When I was nine years old, my oldest sister left to go away to Wheaton College. And I'm, we had to say like, all right, there were six of us, now there's five. And then two years later, my sister Sue went to college here at Hope, and my, her twin brother, Mark, went down to Rice University in Houston. I was like, wait a second, there were six, and now there's three. And it felt like, we were, like there were still six of us, but it felt like we were shrinking because we kept getting dispersed into new opportunities and new stories. And the one common childhood in our home over the course of the last 30 years has become seven homes in four cities in two different countries. And if you were to go back to that red brick house in Western Springs, Illinois today, you would find only one person there, my mom. But we have added five people via marriage and 18 through grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So our original eight has expanded to 30, even with the loss of my dad this year. In our original location, we have never been smaller. But when you get us all together, we've never been bigger. God grows kingdom movements through multiplying smaller groups. God might diminish one particular body in size, but it's only because he's got more people in more places. 
We pick up the story here in Joshua chapter 24. When all the tribes who are settled in their own respective corners of this new land called Israel come back together for a national reunion. It says this, chapter 24, verses 1 through 15. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, modern-day Iraq, and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Fast forward 400 years. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. And I brought you out. When I brought your people out of Egypt, you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried to the Lord for help, and he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. And he brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and you took possession of their land. And when Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. Just so, if anybody's looking for baby names, may I submit Balak, son of Zippor, and Balaam, son of Beor. There's gold in here, friends. <laughs> then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But I gave them, I gave every last one of your enemies into your hands. And I sent the hornet ahead of you and drove them out before you, also the two Amorite kings. You did not do this with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. God's like, I got you a fully furnished apartment and food was already in the fridge. You are welcome. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, hey, I just want to remind you the whole backstory of who God is and what he has done for you. And then I want to let you know this. You're going to be tempted to follow other gods. Like the new, the new God in this neighborhood, the Amorites, that God's going to be appealing to you for a moment. And you're going to have to decide whether you want the gods that came before you or the gods that your neighbor had, or you're going to take the God who has been good to you all the way through. And Joshua goes, but just in case there's any confusion, I want you all to know that me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now you, you make up your mind. Just because everyone is settled into their new homes, just because they all finally have roots in the promised land, doesn't mean that the work is done. Because the work wasn't to get houses. The work was to create an environment where the message of God would thrive, not just for their generation, but the generations to come. 
The goal wasn't to get into the land. The goal was to create a people who inhabited the land who were closely walking with Jesus or their understanding of God every step of the way. You know when we should pray the as for me and my house prayer? It's not when we put a plaque on our wall that says so, but every single day at every single crossroads when faced by every single temptation. To say every minute is a chance for me and the people that I'm responsible for to decide who we're going to serve. And today, this day, for our house, let it be the one true God who's been good to us. Verse 25 says, On that day Joshua made a covenant. He made a promise with the people. And there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them the decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak tree near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to all the people, this stone will be a witness against us. It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. I love this. Joshua is using an inanimate object, a rock, that says whenever you pass this rock, because this rock had eyes and ears, whenever you pass this rock, think about where you stand with God. And if you're walking with God, be like, hey, rock, I'm still good. And he goes, and if you're not, may that rock haunt you every time you drive by it. So you can pray for me. My daughter, uh, our oldest daughter, who's 15, she got her driver's permit this week. And apparently I'm supposed to log 50 practice hours with her. And uh, we, we had a drive yesterday. One of the intersections that we drove through was an intersection where, you know, some of our, um, like our family minivan was totaled when a car ran a red light. And so she was like, oh, I'm nervous to drive through this intersection on my own for the first time. And in my mind, I'm like, you should be. You should be nervous of all of the intersections. Because um, you see things different when you're with a new driver than you do when you're by yourself. And it was, it was very fascinating because in her brain, she was saying, like, this place means something for our family. And I go, good, you need to, the lesson that we learned from that is never assume that anybody else is following the rules. And Joshua gave them a rock and he goes, every time you pass by this intersection, I want you to think about where you stand with God. I want you to think about where you want to be and what kind of family, what kind of nation, what kind of people you desire to become. So in that moment, Joshua had gathered all of the people for worship. They had a time of teaching and they had a time of response. And then he scattered all of them for mission. Says we're going to come together and be reminded of what's true about God. And then we're all going to go to our respective corners and we're going to live this out. They came together to be reminded for their shared history, their identity, and their shared objective. They were gathered for the very purpose of scattering. The gathering exists to mobilize people for mission. Our success is not measured by how many people that we, that we seat here in this place. Ultimately, our success as a church will be measured by how many people we can mobilize to be sent beyond the four walls of this building for mission in Holland, Hamilton, Zealand, Hudsonville, and yes, around the world. When we understand this whole idea of gathering and scattering, we see God grow his church in numbers, in impact, in creativity, and in courage. God uses multiplication to increase the church by numbers. After Jesus was crucified, he rose again and returned to God the Father. And at this time, his disciples were told that they should wait in Jerusalem and pray for the Holy Spirit to show up. Now, they weren't exactly sure what that was supposed to look like. But 120 of them are gathered in this kind of upper open banquet room, just saying, God, whatever you want for us, that's what we want too. And so we look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. It says that while they were gathered in that space, while they were all there together in one place, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
And eventually they start speaking in languages that they had never learned, proclaiming the goodness of Jesus Christ to everyone who is gathered from all the corners of the earth in Jerusalem for a festival. And this movement of God captures the attention of entire city. And Peter, a close friend of Jesus, tells people what it means to know and follow Christ. It says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. These are echoes of Joshua, saying you can choose to follow whoever you want. I'm begging you to follow God. There's life and truth and freedom there. It says that those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 were added to their number that day. Think about that. At the beginning of the day, there was one group of 120 people. At the end of the day, there were 26 groups of 120 people. Do you think they had to find a bigger room? No, they had, to find a, they had to find 25 more rooms so that everybody could do what they do. My brother works in like venture, venture capital fundraising. And if he could guarantee a potential investor that he could get him 26X on his investment, how many people would throw money at that project? All of them. That's an absurd return. But that's how explosive the movement of God was in the very early stages of the church. It says this in verses 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet publicly in the temple courts. And then privately they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in the temple courts, this massive outdoor mall, they gathered publicly for teaching. But then privately, they scattered for connection, communion, and celebration. God puts more people in more places to grow the church's number because every life, every person, every story matters to God. God also puts more people in more places, not just to grow a church's numbers, but to grow a church's impact. The church in Jerusalem was growing like crazy until a follower of Jesus by the name of Stephen was executed. He was martyred for his faith. And Acts 8.1 says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, Acts 1, before Jesus departs, he says to his disciples, You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And up until this point in the story, they've really only been his witnesses in one place. They've been his witnesses in Jerusalem. But when the persecution comes, they scatter to Judea and Samaria. They're all ending up in the places where God told them that they would go anyway. The only question is, did God allow a wave of persecution to push them into zones that they never would have gone to on their own? See, some scholars believe that the reason that God allowed persecution is because they were always supposed to go to those places, but they never got out of their comfort zone. So God had to give them a nudge. And the question is, does God sometimes allow waves of persecution because he loves lost people so much, he forces people who already know the message of Jesus into their laps? That God forces those who are already in the club down streets, alleyways, and into countries that need to hear that message, but they never would have gone on their own. So if you look later in the book of Acts, you can see what happens when the apostles scattered Philip goes to Samaria and reaches Samaritans. Later, Philip goes back to Judea and reaches an Ethiopian eunuch who reaches Africans. A guy by the name of Ananias ends up in Damascus. He shares the gospel with Saul, who became Paul, who returned to Jerusalem and shared the gospel with the Jews. Peter goes to Joppa, 
meets a guy named Cornelius in Caesarea who shares the gospel with Romans. Acts 11 says those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled west as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks as well, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was on them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So those who had been scattered went to Phoenicia and reached Jews, and then men from Cyprus and Cyrene, a subset of that, went to Antioch to reach Greeks. Those who had gathered in Jerusalem scattered from Jerusalem and reached people groups that many of them had never even considered before. The Spirit scattered the gathered church to reach more people in more places. And in this story, in just a short amount of time, that impact includes Samaritans, Africans, Hebrew-speaking Jews, Romans, Greek-speaking Jews, and Greeks. Different ethnicities, different language groups, different population centers. They're reaching thousands of people, but not in the same way and style as they had in Jerusalem. God scatters his church to grow it in numbers, in impact, and in creativity. 1 Corinthians 9, the Apostle Paul says, I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Have you ever noticed that different people are choosing to connect with God in different ways and different styles? It could be a function of their personal wiring, could be a function of their passions, their struggles, or even their life stages. But I've got four children that are as different as can be. I've got one daughter. She is a party person, an extrovert through and through. If there's a crowd, she'll jump into the middle of it. I've got another daughter who is like the textbook definition of an introvert. And you're like, hey, there's going to be a Bible study and 400 people are going to be there. She's like, no, thanks. I'll do a small group with three. All right, that's, is she wrong? No. Just, they just have completely different styles for how they feel safe, comfortable, and energized in taking a next step in their relationship with God. And if you've been at Central for more than three years, chances are you don't see all of the people that you used to. Some of them have gone on to other churches. Some of them have moved out of the area. But some of them are still connected with the broader Central family, but you just don't see them on Sunday mornings anymore. Some of you might not even be aware that there's a 909 service that meets right across the hall from this, lo- from this room in the legacy room. It's an incredible group of faithful people who feel more comfortable in a different worship space. You might not run into them, but they're still here. Why? Because different people engage with God in different ways through different styles and different venues. About two years ago, some core families from Central, led by Torrin Scott and Jordan Kohler, left Central to start the local church in Grand Rapids. And when they left, we immediately felt smaller. But when we consider how God is using their unique style and personality to reach people that we couldn't, it feels like we're growing. I ran into Torin this last week, and I was reminded of how different Torin and I are. If you've never met Torin, he's got like a monster beard that comes out to here. He's he's got like tattoo sleeves, all six ways to Sunday. He's an amazing artist, and he drives a Harley. I could not rock any of those things. I could try, but you don't want me to. Nor do my wife or my children. And when I run into Torin, I praise God that God has people like Torin reaching people who think and act and function and create like Torin does. God is using people who are spun out of Central to reach the people that Central would never reach. And we should praise God for that. Amen. 
Last fall, Melinda and Jason Priest, their sons Ty and Joseph, left Central to start Awakened City Church in a South Boston neighborhood of Jamaica Plain. And it, it was sad to see them go. But uh, let me tell you this. It, over the next three to five years, God is going to continue to grow and flourish that bold new work. And there will be more people in more places. And this room might feel slightly smaller, but make no mistake, the kingdom is expanding as a result of the faithfulness of the people who were represented from this chapter in our journey. Through all of these initiatives, it can feel like Central has lost dozens of people, but the kingdom is gaining hundreds. The local church of the future will scatter more people than they gather. But have you ever stopped to consider that more young families may connect at Central during the week through our Moms to Moms mentoring group and our Playland than may actually walk through the doors of this weekend service? More and more of our snowbirds who spend a good chunk of their time in Florida are connecting through Central Online. Some churches are adding off-weekend weekend worship services. So they're taking the service that they usually offer on a Saturday night or a Sunday, and they're offering it on a Thursday night. And some of you are saying, praise God, come July, I would go to that service. And the good news is that as a result of our impact initiative, we're looking to remodel the chapel. And that may give us the option to do smaller services on off-peak times. Our lead pastor, Craig Reese, reminded me that if you take a walk through D309, one of our training classrooms on the upper level, if you walk through that room on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night, you'll see dozens of people meeting together for encouragement, celebration, knowledge, and groups. And we've got more spaces here that we can use at more times to reach more tribes of people who live in our area. As the church grows, we will send more people throughout the week than we seat here on Sundays. Just because we can't see it doesn't mean that it's not happening. We want to be a kind of church that is growing in numbers, in impact, and in creativity. Using all means possible to reach out to all sorts of people that we might save some. God's scattering people to help the church grow in numbers and in impact and creativity. And finally, to help it grow in courage. My younger sister, the sixth of six, when she graduated uh, college, she ended up going to China. She was an English teacher, and she lived in a city called Chengdu that has millions of people who live there. And just this last week, I came across an article about the Church of God in Chengdu. This was written January 13th of this year by Lily Kuo in The Guardian. The article says, in China, they're closing churches and jailing pastors. And she tells the story of one particular underground church that was raided by the Chinese authority and the pastor and his wife were taken into custody along with dozens of other members of their church. The church is called Early Rain, so she writes this. In Chengdu, Early Rain has not vanished. Before the raid, a plan was in place to preserve the church with those who were not arrested expected to keep it running, holding meetings wherever they could. Slowly, more church members are being released. As of January 9th, 25 were still in detention. They maintain contact through encrypted platforms. Sounds like a spy movie, doesn't it? On New Year's Eve, 300 people joined an online service, some from their homes, other from their cars or workplaces, to pray for 2019. Others gathered in small groups in restaurants and parks. One member, a student who was sent back to Guangzhou, said he preaches the gospel to police who monitor him. (laughs) 
And the church continues to send out daily scriptures and post videos of sermons. In one, Pastor Wang uh, alludes to the coming crackdown. In this war, Zhanjing and in Shanghai and Beijing and Chengdu, the rulers have chosen an enemy that can never be imprisoned, the soul of man. Therefore, they are doomed to lose this war. Why? Because the church in China doesn't need big buildings to gather in. They're just, as, they're just as happy to multiply underground. And some missiologists are predicting that in the next 10 years, the largest single Christian population will not be in the United States or Brazil or in any other Western country, that there will be more Christians living in China than any other country in the earth. How many buildings do they have? Very few. Are they allowed to worship publicly? Not all of them. Are they multiplying anyway? You bet they are. Why? Because God is pushing more people into more places to reach all of the nations for his glory. And even when we cannot gather publicly, the church is scattering and multiplying like crazy. And we have the privilege of being a part of that here, now, in this place, and in our lifetime. And my great prayer, my great dream, my deep hope for Central is that we wouldn't wait or we wouldn't need a wave of persecution to decide that we're serious about multiplying the message of Jesus in our respective contexts. Because the truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been rescued and redeemed by him, then whether or not you see yourself as a spiritual leader or not, you have the spiritual DNA of a church planter within you. If anybody's ever seen any war movie, you know that like whoever the lieutenant is tells his captain, hey, tells like the, the next people down the line, if I fall in battle, it's your job to pick up the charge. I had a friend today who's a former Marine say, he goes, I love the fact that in the American military, leadership decision-making is decentralized. So if any single leader is incapacitated, everybody else is so clear on the mission that anybody on that team could pick up the flag and lead who's ever left. And the truth is, if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the DNA of a church planter inside of you. It doesn't mean that you're going to lead a 2,000-person megachurch, but it does mean that you could lead a church of five, six eight, 10, 12 people in your home or that you could lead a prayer group before work or that you could lead a Bible study on your cross-country team. That's our great prayer that even though there might be two, two 3,000 people who actually sit in a seat in this place between the hours of nine and noon on a Sunday, there would be many more thousands who are being touched by the broader movement of the kingdom of God as your kingdom dreams are birthed and unleashed in you and through you. And if we can expand our vision of church to say, you know what, there are going to be times where we gather publicly like they did with Joshua and like they did with Peter. But then there are going to be times where, and seasons where we scatter. But it doesn't mean that we're running from. It means that we're running to God's mission on a smaller scale, but albeit just as important one. So the question I want you to ask as we kind of baby step into our future as a church together is, Lord, what role do I play? What expression of the kingdom do you want me to leverage my time, life stage, energy, and resources to multiply? How might you take our band of six or eight and turn it into a 30 as we trust you and move forward with you? God, will you give us the grace not to say, hey, we've got a great thing going. We're big. We're established. We're cozy. We're happy. We're just kind of phone it in until Jesus comes back. Uh-uh. Not today. Not on your watch. Not on mine. Let's be the people who are saying, God, whatever it is that you have, whatever it is that you're doing in my school, my work, my neighborhood, my family, 
Will you give me eyes to discern where your work has traction and to join you there? So let's pray together. And then I got one more, uh, one more announcement that I want to leave you with. Father God, I thank you that you bring people together with the purpose of sending them back out. You huddle us, up, huddle us up so that we can run out and execute whatever play it is that you have called for this particular season in our lives. And Lord, I pray that our, our imagination would be as rich as yours is. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just start firing synapses in our spiritual imagination to dream God-sized dreams for this season in our life. So that when we look back on this chapter, we said, you know what? I had a lot of fun taking the risks that God asked me to take in the moments that I was in. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Want to let you know that Gary Thomas, a national marriage speaker and writer, is going to be coming to town in just two short weeks. If you haven't already signed up for tickets, you can do so. It's $40 for an individual. It's $70 for a couple. And if you're, if you're a family who says, you know what, we haven't had like an oil change for our marriage in 5, 6, 10, 12 years, then do, like, give yourselves a gift. And say, we're, we're going to think about how we can reclaim the cherish aspect of the vows that we exchanged, uh, whether that was six years ago or, or 40 years ago. We're, we're going to re-engage. Re and maybe, as we talk about this whole idea of multiplying mission, it could be that you've got friends who might not be kind of all in when it comes to church or maybe their walk with Christ, but they deeply care about having an enriched and fulfilling marriage. And I want to invite you to invite them to join us in this experience. Or maybe you've got kids, grandkids, neighbors, relatives, and maybe, maybe their marriage isn't exactly where they want it to be. And without patronizing or insulting them, you can say, hey, we're going to this thing. We'd love for you to join us. And if cost is an issue, we're more than happy to, to scholarship it for you. This, this is an opportunity for many people to grab hold of a lifeline and not just kind of accept despairingly, fatalistically, that all that their marriage is today is all that it's ever going to be. So give this gift to yourself or consider giving this gift to somebody else who could benefit from it. Uh, we really do believe that God is going to work in and through this event uh, to encourage, enrich, inspire, and invigorate marriages. So put that on your calendar. If you want more information, there's a table as you go out the lobby doors to your right. Otherwise, come back next week. Craig Reese, our lead pastor, is going to be winding down the series. It's going to be Celebration Sunday. There's still time for you to turn in your commitment cards if you haven't done so. But we can't wait to see you next Sunday where we kind of close the series out with a huge exclamation point and a telling celebration. Can't wait to see you then. God bless. Have a great week.